Yes. Hey, it's Danny Carlson at NASP. Danny, hey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on our on our podcast here. I'm thrilled to do it. Uh, great. Well, let's let's start. So, um, why don't you um, share with us how how this all all began? What was the beginning of uh, of Donor Shoes? The beginning was my first year of teaching at a high school up in the Bronx called Wings Academy. I was a history teacher there for five years. And during my first year of teaching, my colleagues and I, like teachers everywhere across the country, were spending a lot of our own money on school supplies, on copy paper and pencils and stuff that we needed for our students. And then we would talk in the teacher's lunchroom about books that we wanted our students to read and a field trip we wanted to take them on and art supplies for an art project, all the um, really exciting stuff that we couldn't afford to cover out of our own pockets. And as we were talking about, these projects we wanted to do, these resources we wanted our students to have, I just figured that there must be people out there who would want to help teachers like us if they could see exactly where their money was going. So that's what gave us the idea, and it was my students who helped to get the site off the ground, and it was my classroom that served as our office, and we had kind of a, a modest beginning, which I'd, be, which I'd love to tell you about, but, but that was the start. Let me ask you this. I know it's hard to kind of sort of think back in time, but when you first really, when the, when the, when the um, years were sort of really moving and you're, you're thinking about what this could be um, in, in, in 2000, I mean, what was your initial thought of kind of what this could be or, or, or would be? At the beginning, our dream was simply that public school teachers in New York City would be able to bring classroom dreams to life. Even though we were powered by the web and by technology, uh, and it's a little embarrassing um, looking back on it now, but we didn't have ambitions beyond New York City public schools. That, that, that seemed like a large enough universe as it was, and our, our ambitions didn't extend beyond uh, the borders of New York City. But in 2003, Oprah Winfrey caught wind of this philanthropic experiment growing out of a Bronx classroom. And she brought us on the show and did an amazing segment on our site. She referred to us as a revolutionary charity where someone with $1 could be a full-fledged philanthropist and where teachers could, could become social entrepreneurs. And uh, of course, first she crashed our website when she talked about <laughs> us because so, so many people went to the site wanting to give to teachers' project requests, but we got back up again about an hour later after melting down, and then we started getting phone calls from people all over the country asking if DonorsChoose.org could expand to public schools in their cities and states. And that's really what began our national expansion, and it wasn't until 2007 that we opened our site to every public school in America. And today, we're able to say that 80% of all the public schools in the country have at least one teacher who's created a project on our site. That's so cool. That's so cool. So what year was the, was the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey uh, part of the story here? That was 2003. 2003, so, so just a few years after you started. So do you, it, was that kind of the, I mean, kind of startups and, and organizations always kind of talk, you know, about sort of maybe that turning point or that thing that really moved it into the forefront. It was, was that for, uh, for donors choose was was that that moment or 
It really was. It really was. Um, from 2000 through 2003, I was teaching full-time. We were operating out of my classroom, and we were only open to public schools in New York City. But people's reaction to Oprah's profile of our organization in 2003 is really what got the ball moving toward our opening to public schools everywhere. And I, I suspect it might not have happened uh, except for Oprah and that story. So that really was a watershed moment for us. Um, but we've, we've, we've been lucky to have any number of um, moments and, and pieces of coverage. Stephen Colbert has become uh, perhaps our greatest champion um, a few days ago, Good Morning America did a major campaign calling upon their viewers to support classroom projects on our site, what they called Giving My All, uh, and those would be a couple other examples of, of kind of major moments in our arc. That's great. That's great. So before we kind of sort of move along, I just kind of peek behind the curtain on, on kind of what that was like, sort of still still having your your job as a full-time teacher, but, um, on, and, but then at the same time kind of sort of thinking about this project? It was a lot of work. It was kind of like two jobs uh, at the same time, which I know there are a whole lot of teachers who are familiar with the concept of uh, teaching by day and doing something additional by night or, or over the summer. So I, I know I was not alone in that, but, but it was a lot of work, not least because uh, from day one, we set out to vet and authenticate each teacher's project before posting it to the public site. And we had set out from day one to purchase the materials and have them delivered to the classroom instead of handing out cash when a project was funded. And from day one, we knew that we wanted to be able to give donors thank you letters and photos of their project in action so people could see exactly how every dollar was spent and, and fully appreciate the impact that they had. That meant that every time a project got funded, I was I went shopping on behalf of that teacher to purchase the stuff and have it delivered. I, I remember going to um, a stone sculpture store. Um, actually, I think they they serve sculptors of all all materials, not just stone, but probably wood as well. In any case, um, there's a, a a major sculpture store on Spring Street on the west side uh, in Manhattan, still there today. And I remember going there to buy a whole lot of stone sculpture materials for an art teacher in Brooklyn who whose project was for stone sculpture materials. And I remember going to the Upright Citizens Brigade, the improv comedy group, to make personal payment for for one student whose teacher in the Bronx had, had posted a project saying, I want my high school junior to be able to do improv theater training at Upright Citizens Brigade. And so, so the fulfillment of these projects some, sometimes had me, um, you know, going to interesting places and meeting interesting people. Other times it was just doing a lot of shopping off of a credit card, um, uh, buying on behalf of teachers. So it was, it was a lot of work, but it all just kind of gave, gave you a sense for um, the impact that one can have through, through a single funded project. Wow, that's so that's, that's so funny. Maybe you should have uh, in, in those early days. You should have you know limited that it had to be either something you could buy at Staples or Office Max or something. Where I know, right? That would that definitely would have made it simpler. But but I'm actually I'm glad you bring that up because we we also believed from day one that we needed to um, let it, we needed to give teachers full 
uh, creative freedom around their projects, and and we we didn't want to put up lots of guardrails or require them to um, you know only shop in certain places. We we wanted teachers to be able to seek the resource that they felt would would best enrich their students' learning. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, so early 2000s, the very hum humble beginnings, you're racing around Manhattan and you are the fulfillment center of, of donors choose. Um, so fast forward, um, almost 20 years now, I mean, how has the organization evolved uh, aside from expanding nationally? Um, what else about the organization have, have you sort of seen? What's that transformation been like? Well, I'll tell you one thing that has that um, has not fundamentally changed, although it has evolved, is is the model of frontline educators creating classroom project requests, and donors choose uh, vetting and authenticating each project and doing the fulfillment so as to provide total transparency and accountability and providing vivid feedback to donors through photos and thank you letters. That that's kind of um, stayed the same. What's evolved is our ability to do that work at, at great scale. And that's not just meant um, hiring what's now a team of 100 people full-time and another 40 who are part-time and a couple hundred volunteers. It's also meant the development of technology that has enabled us to provide this and, and integrity um, with efficiency and, and um, becoming a low overhead organization, even as we uh, do all this work on every single project request. So that same kind of basic model, even though um, it's been many years and, and, and you've gone through, through changes, that, that sort of basic idea that um, a teacher or, or someone in a school can post a project um, and sort of put up what the request is, um, have it funded and fulfilled, and then it, it, it sort of shows up at their school, that sort of fundamental approach has, has largely been preserved. That's right. That's right. But, you know, and, and one thing that maybe hasn't changed, but over time has become more and more distinctive about Donors Choose is that um, our, our platform, although you might call it part of the crowdfunding movement, um, and, and we actually we started years and years before crowdfunding became a word, uh, but we've, we've evolved into being a force for equity within the crowdfunding space in that 75% of the dollars given to classroom projects on our site come from people and partners who've never met the teacher they're supporting. And that's because we, we grew out of my classroom in the Bronx. And from, from that very first day, I never felt comfortable asking teachers, my fellow teachers who are creating projects on our site, to ask their students' parents to make donations. Most of our students came from low-income households. We would not have wanted to hit up our students' parents um, for donations. There also was no Facebook at the time, so there wasn't a super easy way to share our projects, uh, you know, with, with long-lost friends and family. And so... Um, from the beginning, we knew we would have to build a community of people who would want to support classroom projects created by teachers they had never met before because of shared affinity. You know, maybe it's a, a donor searching for all the Shakespeare projects on our site or a donor searching for classroom projects from um, a particular neighborhood of Brooklyn where they grew up. We knew we had to develop such a community um, and we didn't realize it, but what um, emerged over time was that this has made donors choose really distinct from other crowdfunding sites, which are largely 
fundraising tools to hit up the people you know. And, and those other crowdfunding sites then really become uh, proxies for how many friends with how much disposable income somebody has, where, you know, a teacher with uh, a lot of friends with money or a lot of students' parents with money raises a lot, and a teacher in a low-income context maybe doesn't. Donors Choose is, is kind of the opposite. Because we've developed this community of people who want to support teachers they've never met before, we've become a magnet for teachers in low-income communities because our site is the one place where you don't have to have friends with money or students' parents with money to get a project funded. Have you looked at that? I mean, that sort of notion that um, these are, these, you know, sort of folks who, folks who donate to the site um, or you know, I mean, to the projects that 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 this is that these are strangers. I mean that 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 really is just a sort of um, as you said, a sort of a very unique uh, piece to all this. Um, what what compels what compels certain donors to give to, to certain projects maybe over others? Have, have have you ever looked at that? We think it's it's areas of passion, and and often um, that passion is hometown loyalty. You, you might have grown up in um, in in Chicago and since moved away, and you want to find classroom projects uh, created by teachers in your old neighborhood, or it's um, a book that you read to your nephew last night, and you'd like um, another classroom of students to be able to read that same book. Or it's someone doing a search for the sport that they played in high school and and finding um, projects from sports coaches or gym teachers seeking equipment for that very same sport. Or you've gotten into yoga or gardening or knitting, and you can find yoga, gardening, and knitting classroom projects on Donors Choose. It's it's it really um, it starts with a, a donor expressing either hometown loyalty or a particular passion. And if that's how they come to a classroom project, I think they're excited to, to support a classroom um, and a teacher whom they've never met before. That's so cool, that's so cool. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, just thinking about kind of the organization and sort of how it fits into this, this big, big world of sort of uh, education and sort of thinking about um, you sort of talked about the you know terminology of sort of, of sort of crowd, um, crowdsourcing and, and and things like that. But how do you what do you think about sort of donors choose and sort of how it fits into the education policy uh, landscape? I mean, it's it's fulfilling in in essence a, a gap in public policy, right, around sort of school funding. Um, I mean, ha have you sort of pondered that ever that if if there if 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 the funding to uh, schools and to teachers around things like supplies were, were sufficient, um, something like this m might not be needed. Yes, well, half, it's, it's about half the projects on our site that seek um, fundamental resources, uh, books for an English teacher, art supplies for an art teacher, copy paper and pencils for students who might not have them. Um, there are even what we call life essentials projects where teachers will seek jackets for kids who are coming to school cold or nutritious snacks for kids who are coming to school hungry, hygiene items. About half the projects on our site seek pretty fundamental resources. And um, we would love to be put out of business on those on that half of the projects on our site. Another half of the projects on our site um, seek 
what you might think of as enrichment materials and experiences, a field trip to Washington, D.C. to see the Supreme Court consider a case, a robotics kit for students to build a robot, butterfly cocoons for students to hatch butterflies, uh, things that go beyond what you might um, expect uh, uh, the system to provide by way of their essentials. Um, and so we, we would love, we'd love to be put out of business on, on the projects requesting fundamental resources and be able to strictly focus on teachers bringing to life um, kind of outside the box uh, enrichment awesome uh, uh, projects. But, you know, we also believe that students, kids should not go without books so that someone can prove a point about the insufficiency of school funding. Yeah, got it. No, that's, that's really fascinating. There was, of course, um, I think it was, uh, earlier this year, there was a sort of New York Times article uh, around sort of teachers and spending their own money on, on school supplies. And, 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 and so what you're saying on is on the sort of those fundamental resources that 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 about half of, of, of projects go to things like that. And then uh, the other half is sort of these, these enrichment and sort of field trips and things like that. That's exactly right. Interesting. Um, so we have, we've been talking about teachers. Uh, we, of course, are uh, the National Association of Elementary School Principals. Uh, so I wanted to, to sort of shift gears a little bit again. Um, and so um, how, how should principals sort of think about using DonorsChoose.org? Yes. Well, principals have been our primary champions in growing DonorsChoose.org because principals are close enough to the front lines to immediately get what our platform could do for their teachers and most importantly, their students in their classrooms. So it, it really has been school principals who, who determine just how um, successful a school is in using our site. There are school principals who will carve out uh, 20 to 30 minutes of professional development once a year so that one of their teachers who's been especially successful at using DonorsChoose.org can give a little primer um, and a pep talk to their fellow teachers at that school about how to use our site and, and all that's possible through our site. And whenever, whenever there are uh, schools that bubble up as receiving, you know, more than $100,000 of materials and experiences through our site, it's almost always because of the school principal setting a tone of um, kind of initiative and entrepreneurship and an and embrace of thinking outside the box. And, and that's why we are so excited to have partnered with NAESP to launch the principal toolkit, the, the, the crowdfunding toolkit, which people can find at donorschoose.org slash N-A-E-S-P. And there's so much, maybe we can talk about it uh, um, further in, but, uh, but I, I'll, I'll pause there just for a moment. I hope we get to talk about all that's within the toolkit. But um, I would just, I, really, I want to uh, underscore the fact that it's really school principals who determine um, just how successful teachers are at using our site. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, I, I really think it's like, you know, in sort of thinking about this, this partnership with you all, I, I think about it as almost a microcosm of really the principal's role in, in really thinking about um, how, how so often principals are that sort of, you know, they're that amplifier, they're, they're that support for teachers and, 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 and staff, and, and they're thinking about these, these challenges and opportunities sort of school-wide, and, um, you know, the sort of 
sort of donors choose is that that tool, that outlet, that that um, thing that that they can use to, to really support their teachers, um, and 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 think about um, again, you know, things around sort of school climate and culture and and, and other really important things that affect um, all students. Um, but yeah, let's actually jump into the you know to the toolkit. Uh, if you want to share a little bit about what's in it and and sort of how um, you know how principals can use it. I would love to. So there are any number of tips and strategies within the toolkit. Um, they start with how a school principal can um, encourage teachers to create projects that align with the principal's school-wide instructional priorities. Um, projects on our site are teacher-driven, um, but the, they um, absolutely can be, should be aligned with the priorities set out by the school principal. We see this writ large sometimes. Um, for example, in, in Atlanta, uh, the superintendent there, Dr. Kostarfin, uh, will send an email to teachers at the beginning of the school year encouraging them to create classroom projects on Donors Choose that fit with the district's uh, overall priorities. Often um, that priority is college uh, readiness. And, and so she'll encourage teachers to create college readiness projects. A school principal can do the same thing. If they um, want to set forth a theme of parent engagement or hands-on project-based learning or college readiness or getting ready for the SAT or the ACT, um, teachers could be creating projects and getting resources funded to, to pursue those priorities. So that's one. Um, Donors Choose can be a way to engage parents and the greater community. Um, although 75% of the money given to classroom projects on our site comes from people who've never met the teacher they're supporting, an important 25% does come from the teacher's network and, and from the, the larger local community. So there are tools uh, to engage that community. Um, Donors Choose can be a way for teachers to try out new um, services, new products, new inventions that the principal may have heard about and may have some curiosity in and wants to kind of pilot. Let's say there's a school principal who's heard about a new piece of digital courseware or a new kind of robotics kit or a new math manipulative. And maybe it's too early to seek sort of district permission to purchase that resource in large quantity. But um, maybe it is time to at least pilot that resource by encouraging a teacher to create a project seeking that new invention, that new product, that new service, to try it out, test it out, see if it works, and to then seek uh, either um, funding from the school budget or from the district. Um, two years ago, DonorsChoose.org, thanks to help from the Gates Foundation, expanded to professional development projects. Teachers can now create projects seeking resources that will help them become better teachers. And I think there are a lot of school principals out there who might want to encourage teachers to create certain kinds of professional development projects to get funding for certain kinds of training through our site. Um, we have developed a real core competence and, and um, experience in serving schools that are hit by uh, natural disasters, um, helping uh, them to re-equip and rebuild their classrooms. So uh, for those schools that might be in the Carolinas or in Virginia and are looking with a whole lot of fear and anxiety at Hurricane Florence, uh, they should know that Donors Choose can be one of the ways that they re-equip and, and rebuild their classrooms. Um, and of course, Donors Choose can be a way to um, 
bring to life a school's culture and, and to help teachers collaborate with each other. And all that and more uh, are, are tips and strategies available in that principal toolkit, which thanks to you, uh, we were able to launch at donorschoose.org slash N-A-E-S-P. Yeah, thanks. No, that, that was a perfect recap. Um, really encourage folks to, to go take a, a look at this if you haven't already. Um, just really helpful, helpful things in sort of thinking about um, certainly how to, how, how to use, um, you know, the site and, 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 and thinking about supporting your school and teachers, but also other things around sort of transparency of, of, of funding and, and things like that that are just really good sort of tips um, as you sort of navigate uh, this world of sort of online online fundraising. So, uh, thank and, and and really thanks to to you and your team. Uh, you really did an incredible job on in pulling that tool together. Um, we are very excited about it, and we've already gotten some good feedback on it of, of folks who have looked at it, and uh, look forward to continuing to to share that and and to use it. So. That's awesome, Denny. Thank you. Well, we felt very fortunate to be working with someone, uh, you, who yourself, uh, uh, you were a, a teacher who used DonorsChoose.org, and, and we were absolutely thrilled to appreciate that and felt lucky to have you as our, as our point person. Uh, yeah, I'm an, uh, I'm an alumnus, I guess, of, of the program. You, you, That's right. You used DonorsChoose.org way, way back when I taught, uh, was uh, in, in, in need of some additional supplies and, and resources. and. Uh, Post poster project and, and that so yeah absolutely uh, big advocate over here so um, well good let's um, let's uh, shift gears again a little bit want to just kind of get um, a few kind of maybe kind of closing questions I just want to um, you know you're I sort of talked about your story of of sort of you know of this <clears throat> of of the site and sort of your your vision. Um, you're 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 a leader. You're a leader in in the education world. Um, certainly in in the philanthropy world. Uh, principals are are leaders. They lead their school. They set visions. Um, they have goals. Um, what kind of advice would you have um, for for principals uh, and maybe anyone else listening to this podcast just about leadership and sort of what you've learned over the years about leading people and sort of leading and leading an organization. Well, first, I would salute school principals for the leadership roles that they play and, and the leaders they are, which and I think in many respects, their their leadership uh, responsibilities are, are tougher than, than anything I face. Uh, but in any case, I, there are two, two um, core values that, that we pursue at DonorsChoose.org that we think are vital to leadership, um, those two being hustle and humility. Hustle for us captures the fact that at donors choose at least, um, you have to love getting people to yes. Very often that means uh, getting a philanthropist or a foundation or company or a group of people to say, yes, they will support classroom projects on our site. Um, and some people might think of that as sales, but we think of it as uh, the art and the science of persuasion and inspiration and um, and, and for us, it's, it's, it's the thrill of, of getting someone to yes. So hustle for us captures that. And we'll do, we, we will um, stop at nothing and, and leave no stone unturned to, to um, help get people to yes. And then humility for us is kind of baked into our, our very model in that we see um, frontline educators uh, uh, as the folks who have more expertise than we do as to what uh, educational 
micro solutions will have the biggest impact. And so we, we try and embody that, that model of humility ourselves. And, and one way we do that within the office culture is by being really uh, careful and thoughtful to credit um, the colleague, especially if they're a junior level colleague or an entry level colleague. We try and be really good at remembering when colleagues were the ones who came up with an idea that has uh, developed and um, uh, been added to and is and is being implemented. I feel like there are a lot of offices where uh, someone junior at the table might suggest an idea and two weeks later their manager is wrestling with a challenge and, and the manager accidentally assumes that the idea is their own idea and they forget to give credit to the junior level colleague who came up with it. And that sends a lesson that, you know, there's no, there's no uh, point in innovating or being creative because someone else is going to take credit for the idea that you contributed. Whereas if you're really, really good and meticulous about attributing and shouting out and crediting and footnoting <laughs> uh, colleagues for the ideas that they helped to spur, you'll have that much more creativity and innovation. And, and I, to my mind, that's actually just another flavor of humility. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I think that one both uh, certainly in the professional setting, but also also in sort of folks' everyday lives and personal, right? It's just that humility to, to acknowledge uh, contributions and, and, and that. So that's that's really good. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, we're we're going to stay on the, the advice train. Um, part of this, part of the goal of this podcast is to kind of share ideas, best practices, um, around really being an advocate, advocating for uh, yourself, advocating for, for the profession. Um, any, any tips or strategies, advice that you would give to, to folks in, in thinking about um, really what, what it takes to be a successful advocate? I think for us, advocacy is about the power of stories, which are often more powerful than statistics and certainly are more powerful than um, rhetorical descriptions of things where you're trying to tell someone something when you should be trying to show someone something. Um, and, and at Donors Choose, that means that we lead with the specific ideas that specific teachers have for their, for their kids. And uh, we actually struggle sometimes with describing donors choose in an elevator pitch uh, because what we like to do is lead with the actual experience and the actual stories that someone encounters when they give on our site. Um, the experience of giving to a classroom project on our site we think is pretty exhilarating. Um, whereas if anything, uh, we, we struggle to capture uh, we struggle to pull heartstrings if we're simply describing our organization in a sentence or two. But I think really what it just comes down to is um, telling a story of a specific person is often a more powerful way to make a point and to win converts to your cause than um, rattling off statistics or, or than explicitly telling something, uh, explicitly telling people something they ought to believe. Yeah. Wow. That, that is really good. Um, Really good advice. Um, I, I have to, to just I have to piggyback on that just for one second. Um, yeah, please. One of our yeah, one of our big priorities, you know, as an example, is sort of the Title II program, which is the federal 
uh, funding program that um, um, you know school uh, that that states and districts receive for things like professional development for teachers and principals, and um, you know telling sort of folks in, in Congress or on Capitol Hill that the the program is important um, really only goes so far. It, it's really important for uh, edu the educator voice to to share the stories about how the program helps them grow and become better. Um, and, and thus be able to serve their students better. Um, but being able to do that and kind of tell that story is just really, really, really important. So I'm so glad you said that. Oh, thank you. Um, well, good. Well, uh, let's um, let's uh, close things up here. But, but before we, we go, I, I just want to thank you again, Charles, for for joining us on on, on this on, on the podcast, and, and also for for partnering with NAESP and 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 helping principals. Uh, uh, we just really, really, really appreciate it. Um, the last one, I'm, I'm just going to ask him to put you on the spot a little bit. Hopefully, you, you, you can come up with something. But we'd just love to hear a, a couple examples of some inspiring stories um, that you've you've seen over the site over the whatever 18 years that the site has been has been up. What are some what are some some inspiring stories that come to mind? Absolutely. I'll tell you a recent one that um, really involved the school principal as much as the teacher. Um, and first of all, thank you for your kind words. I, I, I just really appreciate uh, being able to have this conversation with you and, and be part of this podcast. And, and we're just so proud of our partnership with NAESP. So um, the, the uh, inspiring project, hopefully you'll find it inspiring, started off as a uh, scary sounding project. Um, this was last March when uh, a company, a blockchain company called Ripple, had secretly decided to fund every single classroom project on our site with a $29 million donation. And in advance of this surprise $29 million donation that was going to fully fund every single project on our site, we first wanted to make sure that there weren't any sketchy seeming projects on our site. We, we vet and we validate every project on our site. So our screening process should have uh, caught anything amiss, but we wanted to just double, triple check. And we found a project that seemed um, like it was uh, at a minimum um, misguided. This was a project requesting a chainsaw and a utility vehicle. A utility vehicle, if, if you're not familiar, it's like a, a golf cart on steroids. And we were like, this, is, this, this can't be right. A, a teacher requesting a chainsaw and a utility vehicle. Um, we, we contacted the teacher and we, we figured that at a minimum, we would ask the teacher to change their request from seeking possession of a chainsaw to bringing in a local landscaping service to provide whatever you know service was needed. So at a minimum, we're going to say you've got to change this from requesting possession of a chainsaw to um, bringing in a local landscaper to do whatever it is you you need done. But we we kind of figured we would be just taking the project down and rejecting it entirely. So we contact the teacher, and the teacher tells us first off, well. I'm actually working at a school for students with such severe disabilities that security requirements do not allow anyone on campus who hasn't gotten a background check. And that is why we cannot have a landscaping service come in and do the work we need done. 
That's why I'm requesting the chainsaw and the utility vehicle itself. So we were like, all right, I, I guess I understand why this cannot be a request for a local landscaping service, but um, isn't it, won't it be incredibly dangerous for you, teacher, to be wielding a chainsaw? And the teacher said, yes, it would be. Um, uh, that is why it's actually our school's head of maintenance who will be the only person who's allowed to even touch this chainsaw. And our head of maintenance is more than qualified to, to handle a chainsaw. So we're like, all right, okay, good. It's not going to be you. You're, you're creating this project on behalf of your school, and it's your school's head of maintenance who's going to use the chainsaw. Why do you need it? And the teacher um, explained to us that their school had been in the, directly in the path of Hurricane Irma, and their school's grounds um, campus was littered with debris, with fallen trees, with fallen limbs that had not been cleared. And anytime anybody looked out a classroom window, all they could see was physical devastation. And they needed to remove the, all this fallen debris on their own. And the project was so important to the school that the school principal had been checking on the project funding status every day, asking the teacher whether it was going to be funded or not. And in fact, it was only 10% funded. Um, and I think it was a project costing as much as $20,000, which is much more than the average project on our site. And, you know, in truth, uh, a project that expensive, uh, only 10% funded at the time, probably was not going to cross the finish line, except, of course, it did when we applied Ripple's $29 million donation to the project, uh, sorry, to, to that project and every other on our site. And um, a what seemed at first like uh, an example of our screening process not working uh, actually turned out to be um, what for us was was an inspirational project. Wow, that's so good. So the school got their, their chainsaw. They did. They did. <laughs> wow. So the $29 million is literally, I mean, projects were funded. And so basically, I mean, almost all, all projects on the site were received, received funding, huh? That's right. Yeah, every every project on the site was was taken care of, and of course, uh, within just a couple of days, there were um, thousands and thousands of teachers creating more projects and new projects. So today, there are twice as many projects on the site as there were one year ago. But uh, but it was a pretty cool moment when when every project was fulfilled. That's so good. Oh my gosh, uh, good, really good one to end on. Um, thanks again, Charles. Really, really appreciate. Uh, your, your time with this, and, and, and thanks for all uh, you do. This is a, you guys uh, provide an invaluable service um, to, to, to educators and to schools and to kids all across the country, and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Danny. I really appreciate it myself. Okay, you have a good one. Thanks. Okay, take care. Bye bye.